0: Ephesians five verses well, beginning in verse twenty two. Wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That seems self explanatory. Let's pray. No, let's get some context first before we dive in. Remember, the whole theme of Ephesians is walking in the riches of God's grace. So remember, we've spent three entire chapters talking about the awesome riches that we have in Christ, all that God's done for us. This is part of our worthy response back to Him, our worthy way of living as Christians, to live up to the name that we have, that we're in Christ Now, last week in context, Paul ended his description of the spirit-filled life by saying that the spirit-filled life results in a submissive attitude towards others, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So Paul is now going to explain what that submission looks like by explaining three relationships which lie at the heart of every society. We're going to look at husbands and wives, then we're going to look at parents and children, and then finally we'll look at employees and employers. Being light in each of those areas requires us to do those relationships, to do those interactions differently than those who do those interactions who aren't in Christ. If we're going to be light, we have to do all of those relationships differently. Behaving worthy of who we are in Christ means there are going to be wrong behaviors in all of these relationships that you and I need to put off. There will be areas in all of these kinds of relationships that we need to let God change our thinking about those relationships, and there will be new behaviors that we need to adopt in these relationships. Now, Paul begins with the most intimate of these relationships, marriage. Yes, parents and, and a child relationship is intimate. Yes, and when you're working with someone regularly, that has some intimacy to it in the sense that it's a close working relationship. But the most intimate one, of course, is marriage. And over the next few weeks, Paul is going to get even more up close and personal with our conduct. He won't just be poking his nose in the kitchen. He will be poking his nose in your bedroom closet. Now, most of us don't want anyone to go near our bedroom most of us certainly don't want anyone going into our drawers or our closet in the bedroom. Well, that's the case. It will be good, though, to have those things exposed before the Lord. Because it's when we expose those areas to the Lord that change happens. It's there that we find healing, it's there we find blessing and usefulness. Now, Paul decides to split up his teaching by addressing husbands and wives separately. And so. That means we will begin this journey by examining first what it means to be a spirit-filled wife because that's what he covered first. One last thing before we dive in. Beverly and I will be doing a Q&A about marriage on the Sunday I finish Ephesians 5. So while we haven't worked all the details of what that's gonna look like yet, I encourage you start writing down your questions as we're moving through verses 22 through 33. That way, you know, if something pops up as we're going through, you go, but what about this? When we get to the end of it, we've got lots of good, juicy questions for us to squirm when we get them, so, okay? All right, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, and based on first service, that's as far as we're going to get today. What is this command for wives to submit to their husbands? Well, first off, we need to define what submission is not this is not a flat command for all women to submit to all men. It says wives. It doesn't say ladies. It says wives. In fact, the idea that this says that all women need to be submitted to all men is contradicted by the previous verse. Verse 21 says, Submit yourselves one to another. That's all of us. One to another in the fear of God. Women and men in the church are to submit to one another. We are equal family members with equal capacity and equal responsibility to speak into each other's lives. In Galatians 3, 26 through 28, it says this very clearly. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians echoes this. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, Do not lie one to another. In other words, we're supposed to be interacting with each other. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, a barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We were all saved the same way, men and women, The same Jesus that's living inside of me is the same Jesus living inside of you, whether you're a man or you're a woman. And that means that every believer has both the capability and the responsibility to speak into each other's lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 points this out very clearly. It says in Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brethren, Having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. In other words, because of what Christ did on the cross, we have access to the Holy of Holies. If you are a man, you don't have more access than the ladies here to the Holy of Holies. We all have equal access to the Holy of Holies through Christ through his flesh, through the fact that he became a man, died on the cross for us, paid the price for our sins, all of us have equal access to the Father. Now, we also all have a high priest over the house of God. Verse 21 says, and having a high priest over the house of God. So we all have the same mediator, all right? I'll bring this up a little bit more next Sunday, but I really hate it when I hear people say, well, the husband is the high priest of the home. There is one high priest and it's Jesus. That's it. There's no other mediator between you and Jesus, period. So this idea here is that we both have equal access to the throne of God. And in light of that, verse 22 says, let us, not just the men, but let us draw near with a full true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Also, let us, all of us, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then here it is. And let us, the same us that's supposed to hold fast and draw near, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Just as all who are in Christ are exhorted to draw near and to hold fast, all who are in Christ, male and female, are exhorted to consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works. The writer commands all who are in Christ to exhort one another. Any teaching, no matter how well-intentioned, that limits this is not biblical. Biblical and therefore should be rejected. Every person in Calvary Chapel, Orlando, regardless of gender or age or spiritual maturity, has the capability and responsibility to obey all these commands. We're all to come and show up to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or to a Bible study ready to find someone to provoke to love and to good works, to encourage them somehow to love others, to love God, and to do what He says. That's all of our responsibilities. If you are unwilling to receive something the Lord has for you from a sister in Christ just because she's a woman, you need to repent. Because not only is that not a biblical idea, but you're going to miss out on all God has for you. Because He's put you in this family, and we need all of our family members. Now, we bring it back to marriage because this is the way we interact as a church this also means that being a submissive wife does not mean you stop being your husband's sister in christ beverly is my wife but she's also my sister in the lord which means she still needs to provoke me to love and good works not necessarily as that i'm her husband but because i'm her brother in christ And so if I'm not loving the Lord or loving others or doing good works, she has a responsibility to go, hey, love people, love the Lord, and do the right thing. And therefore, in light of this submission, biblical submission as a wife has nothing to do with not saying anything to your husband when you disagree with how he's leading or how he's acting simply because he's the leader, not you. That is not biblical submission. That is not doing your job. What chance of success do you think a military operation would have if members in the squad who were responsible to do recon did not give their captain the information they discovered simply because the captain plans to do things a different way than they want? That's not being submissive. That's failing to do your duty. Being a submissive soldier means informing your commanding officer of all the information you've gathered. It means giving your best advice on what to do with that information so that your commanding officer has all the tools necessary to make the best decision for the squad. Now, with our understanding of what submission is not, let's now examine what submission is. The reason I bring up the military illustration is because the word submit is a military word. It means to regularly place yourself underneath the orders or the directives of another. Wives, regularly place yourself under the orders and the directives of your husband. That's what Paul is commanding you to do. Now, when you married your husband, whether you knew it or not, you entered into something supernatural. God made you and your husband one flesh. And whether you understood biblical principles or not when you said, I do, that is how you need to approach your marriage now. Because if you just operate on this and go, well, we had a wedding and now we're married and that's that, but I'm going to kind of approach this in my own way of how I think it should work. You're not going to please the Lord and your marriage is going to struggle. Your family is going to struggle. And so I asked you this morning, because everything else we're going to talk about today will be moot if this decision isn't made. Have you made the decision to approach your marriage God's way? Have you recognized that your marriage wasn't just something legal or personal that happened to you, but that God did something supernatural when you said, I do? I know, you know, we thought paperwork, we have a marriage license, or we have a government that recognizes marriage for tax purposes, but none of those things are what make you married. There are, has been times in history when none of those things existed. If you go all the way back to when God created marriage in the garden, none of that existed. One of the things we do when we go through premarital counseling with couples is in one of our very earliest sessions, we say, what is present today that wasn't present in the garden? Lots of things when you think about it, which means none of those things make two people married. When God witnesses your vows and you say, I do, He does something supernatural. Whether there's an efficient there, whether you signed a paper, or whether you still have the paper or not, He makes two people, one flesh. And if you are not going to recognize that, and therefore that you have a responsibility to enter into this supernatural thing called marriage by embracing the fact that God has a way that marriage is supposed to work, then it doesn't matter anything else we talk about, you're going to struggle so, while every wife needs to recommit themselves daily to accepting this role in their marriage, that won't be happening if you've never decided to place yourself under your husband's leadership. That's an actual decision you have to make and say, God, I'm choosing to place myself underneath my husband's leadership. Because that's what submission is. I frequently will hear husbands be like, I can't get my wife to submit to me. And I'm like, You're not going to with that mindset, because that's not how submission works. Submission isn't taken. It's something given. You can't take it from her. I need to get her to submit to me. That's the whole wrong process of how you do it. Submission is something given. It's something someone decides to do. They place themselves underneath your leadership. Now, note it says here, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. There was a man who once told my wife she needed to submit to him. His memorial was awkward the next week. (laughs) She didn't kill him. (laughs) But she was correcting him because he needed to be corrected. Now, my wife, she doesn't go walking around correcting people. She doesn't have to go put on her sin sniffer and go look around and find out who's in sin. You know, when she does, ooh, you. But this man had decided to open his mouth about something that he thought about his own marriage, and she corrected him, as any good brother or sister should when you hear a brother or sister say something that's not biblical. And he said, why are you talking to me like that? You you need to submit to me. (laughs) My wife doesn't need to submit to anybody but me. She does not need to submit to you in that way. You don't need to submit to every other man out there any more than you would to a brother or sister in Christ. The submission here, God commands you only to place yourself under the leadership of your husband, not under the leadership of every other man in the church. Now, some wives might ask the question, why do I have to submit to any man? Well, it tells us at the end. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband's as unto the Lord. If a woman is in Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, you're already submitted to a man, Jesus. Jesus is not gender neutral. I understand, and I don't say this mockingly, I understand that there are lots of ideas out there about gender. Jesus is not gender neutral, though. He is the Son of God. He was born a man, lived a man, died a man. So, if You're in Christ, ladies. You're already submitted to a man. You're submitted to Jesus, or you're supposed to be at least. That's the idea. Verse 21 also taught us that all who are in Christ, which includes wives, are to submit to their brothers and sisters in Christ. So you're already submitted to a bunch of other people. Therefore, if someone has a problem with the concept of God's command for wives to submit to their husbands, their problem isn't with God's explanation of marriage. Their problem is either, A, misunderstanding what it means to be a Christian, or B, rejecting God's commands of how a Christian is to live in submission to others. That's the Christian life. It's a submitted life. Submission to others is part of the Spirit-filled life. And if we're going to walk worthy of our position in Christ, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do that and be in the flesh. So I would ask you, is it really that much for the Lord to ask wives to submit to just one extra person? We make much ado about this idea, especially in our culture, which doesn't want to see things this way. When, and I'm not saying I have an opinion on this either way, but when the governor of Maine was giving her press conference when she was upset because the Supreme Court had overturned the idea about vouchers being available to private schools, again, I'm not here to explain my opinion about that. But she lamented the idea that, well, people are going to these schools and they're being taught the idea that, a, that the husband is a leader of a family. That's a dangerous idea. I realize that there are lots of ideas about how the husband-wife relationship is supposed to work. But the truth of the matter is, is that God makes it very plain in His Word how it's supposed to work. And is it really that big a deal that God asks you to submit to one extra person? We make it much ado about this idea of, oh, women are going to be oppressed if this happens or whatever. Women can be oppressed no matter what situation they're in, by the way. That doesn't make what God says wrong. And certainly the failures of men to do their part, to love their wives as Christ loved the church over history, does not make what God says wrong here either. God is not asking for you to be trampled. He's asking for you to submit to one extra person. To willingly place yourself under their leadership. Just one extra person. If you're willing to obey God's command to submit to the Lord Jesus, then why would you resist His command to submit to your husband? Because at the heart of the command for wives to submit to their husbands is a command to submit to the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. By placing yourself underneath your husband's leadership, you are placing yourselves underneath Jesus's leadership. Now, I realize, ladies, there is a vast difference between Jesus and your husband. (laughs) Jesus never fails. Jesus never leads you in the wrong direction. I guarantee you, Jesus would ask for directions. You can always be confident of Jesus' sacrificial love for you. And Jesus is never selfish, and He never sins against you. Now, in light of that, the concept of submitting to your husband as unto the Lord means that God does not call you to follow your husband's lead if he is doing something unbiblical. Now, note, I did not say if he's doing something you don't agree with. I also did not say if he's doing something you don't think is best. That's not what that means. It means if he's doing something that clearly violates what the Bible says. If you are in physical danger in your marriage, you do not need to follow your husband's lead. You need to get to safety. If he is breaking the law, you don't have to follow his lead in that area, and I dare say you should probably turn him in. My wife, I'm very grateful for her. Because when she couldn't get through to me, she said, well, I'll just up the ante. I'll call your pastor. I'll call this friend. And I'm so grateful for that. I mean, I didn't like it in the moment when you get the call and you're like, hey, how you doing? You're like, what's going on here? (laughs) Doing okay? Yeah? How's life been? Okay. And then you kind of realize, yeah, well, I'll come out after the phone call. i say, did you tell them I wasn't doing well? Yes. Because you weren't walking with the Lord. And you weren't listening to me. So, I needed you to hear from somebody because I love you. I didn't want you to be where you were. I'm not just going to follow you into the tar pit. (laughs) I mean, I'll stick with you while you're mucking around in the tar pit. But I'm not going to just go and disobey the Lord too. If he's breaking the law, you don't have to follow his lead in that area. If he's disobeying God's commands in Scripture, you don't have to follow his lead in those areas. And in those moments, you tell your husband what you would tell anyone else who would ask you to join them in disobeying the Lord. You say, listen, I love you. In the case of your husband, I'm committed to you. I want to follow your lead, but you're asking me to disobey the Lord, and I won't do that. Now, disobeying the Lord... Doesn't mean that he wants the family to go to a church you don't you don't want to. Or you don't think that's where you're supposed to be. Ah, oh, that's not clear biblical violation. That's an opinion. Nor is disobeying the Lord when he wants to pray with you at inconvenient times, which we are very good at. Disobeying the Lord is when there's a clear command from Scripture and He's violating it. And unless that's the case then you need to submit to Him as you do to the Lord, because in doing so, you are submitting to the Lord. Now, you might be wondering, well, what do I do if I strongly disagree with my husband's thoughts or where he wants to lead me or our family on when it concerns financial decisions or child-rearing or family life decisions or career decisions or ministry involvement decisions? What do I do then? Well, you do what any good team does. You talk about it, As his sister in Christ and as his partner in the marriage, you bring your resources to the table so that the best decision can be made. But in doing that, you have to recognize that the best decision isn't necessarily what you want to do. Just as your husband is not independent in the relationship, neither are you. None of us gets to sit down and go, well, I'm the smart one here, so clearly you need to listen to me. That's a single life mindset. That's not married life mindset. It's not the way Christ calls us to be in marriage. You must recognize your need to work together. And that will often mean compromising or meeting in the middle somewhere. Yes, but I always dreamed that this is how schooling would look for our kids. That's great. But you got married. You don't get to have kids independently and then do what you want with them. You have to work together on that. Yes, but this is the type of life I thought I'd have or the home I'd have or this is what we do with our free time or this is how we do life. That's great. You got married. No one gets to live in the single life mindset once they get married and please the Lord. You can't. If your thought of what's best is to go into a conversation with your husband with a scorched earth, my way is the only way mentality, then either you don't understand or you refuse to submit to God's plan for marriage. Both are bad. Marriage is about teamwork. Me and Bev are not peas in a pod. We are two of the most abrasive substances that have been thrust together, There are times when we are in conversation and what I am thinking in my mind is not are you from a different planet? Are you human? (laughs) I know of no other human being who thinks that way. Now, what I'm really saying is you don't think like me and I don't get that. But that's how I feel. You feel so strongly. You're like, clearly any sane person would see it this way. And if you decide to continue down that mindset and that road, rather than listen to what the other person is saying, listen to the values they are bringing to the conversation, listen to what they really want and desire, and why they have a different thought on this than you. Unless you value that, you will not be a team, and you will not please the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, I know we read the whole most of the the beginning of the chapter in our Scripture reading. But we skip down to verse 7 of chapter 3, and it tells us there, first off it says in the beginning, it says, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, but if they're not being obedient to the Word, if they're being a disobedient husband, here's how you handle life. Here's how you do being a wife if they're not obeying the Lord. Then it says, likewise, husbands. In other words, husbands, if your wife's not obeying the Lord, here's how you handle that. But then at the end, he explains the relationship when he's dealing with husbands. He explains it that you exist as, so married couples exist as, heirs together of the grace of life. What does that mean? Well, an heir is someone who inherits something, right? And the grace of life refers to this eternal life we're experiencing, right? You are inheriting together all that God has for you in salvation, in other words, you are helping each other on your way to heaven. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book on marriage. He says, you are partnering, when you decide to get married, you are partnering in your spouse's sanctification. You have made that decision. When you said, I do, you said, I'm going to be your partner in your sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, it means It's the process whereby God is making me more like Jesus, which means I'm not like Jesus yet. Right? So you've decided to partner with someone who's not like Jesus. That's what you you decided when you said, I do. I'm going to partner with an imperfect person. I'm going to unconditionally love and support and stay with an imperfect person. That's what marriage is. I realize there are lots of ideas about marriage, and of course, there's lots of ideas about weddings. I get in trouble a lot about weddings. Because there are times people come to me and say, Pastor, will you marry us? And after sitting down, I go, no. No, this is a bad idea. Or you're not ready. And I get in trouble where it's not biblical. And people get mad. Why? You're our pastor. I can't believe you do this to us. Why can't you just marry us? Because I don't look at a wedding just as a wedding. If you want to just go get married, go down to the courthouse. But you want a pastor to do it, you want to do it in the church, or you want to do it with the church family present, then we're going to recognize all that marriage is. And we're going to talk about what it means when you say, I do, so that when you get up here and I look at you and I go, in sickness and health, better or worse, richer or poorer, and we talk about what love is, and you go, I do, that you know full well what you're embracing. I am choosing to marry an imperfect person. I'm choosing to unconditionally love and stay with an imperfect person. I am choosing to partner in someone's sanctification who is not like Jesus yet. And that means it's not just you helping him because he's a buffoon or him helping you because you're a foolish woman. You help each other, which means you need to listen to each other and you need to recognize that you need the other person's help. You need their input. So often marriages get to a place where you're just frustrated with the other person and just like, I don't need you right now. I don't need your input. You don't make any sense or I don't want to hear it. I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. And when you get into that mindset, you are not going to please the Lord. Now, 1 Peter 3 verse 8 is how this is done correctly. Now, he says, finally, be you all of one mind. I know he's probably speaking more than to just husbands and wives here. He's probably referring to the other relationships, government and subjects, employees, servants and masters, all that stuff. I realize that. But in context here, he's certainly talking to husbands and wives. And he says, finally, be you all, both of you, of one mind you have to be devoted to the concept of being one mind. That the solution is to find a solution together, not bludgeon your spouse into accepting your solution, or giving them the cold shoulder long enough that they accept your solution, or the silent treatment, or any other manipulation tactic that is forbidden in Scripture. Now, you might say, Pastor, well, what if I can't talk to my husband? Like what if he doesn't want to be a team player? What, what do I do then? What about my very real concerns about what will happen to me or our marriage or our family if he isn't being obedient to what you just read in First Peter 3, 7, and 8? Well, first off, I would say urge him to seek counsel from brothers in Christ. A lot of times when I'm just being stubborn and Bev's having a hard time kind of making some inroads into us working together. She'll say, have you talked to anybody about this besides me? Because most of the time, the answer's going to be no. Because if I went and talked to somebody else, they'd be like, you realize you're being selfish and stubborn, right? And I don't want to stop being selfish and stubborn. So I haven't talked to anybody else. So urge them, first off, to seek counsel from brothers in Christ. Suggest marriage counseling. Hey, we're just not being able to find any middle ground. We're not able to find any headway. Would you be willing to meet with a pastor about this or meet with someone else who can kind of help us work through this discussion? And maybe you might say, I've tried that. What if they aren't willing or they still refuse to obey? Well, that's where 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 6 comes in. What's fascinating to me is the example that Wives are given here about how to handle this is Sarah. Now, think about Sarah. Sarah is living in a culture that no matter how hard headed your husband might be and how much you don't seem to feel like you have a say in your marriage, whatever you can think you don't have, she had less. She had way less because culturally, how the interaction of men and women worked back then, it was much less than today, no matter how oppressive your husband might be from a communication. I'm not not talking about physically abusive. If that's the case, you need to get out and get to safety. I'm just talking about not being a team player here, not being obedient to the Lord in that. She had far less to say culturally than women do today. But despite the fact that her husband decided to lie about who she was, she wasn't my wife, she's my sister… Despite the fact that Abraham wasn't trusting God at all in this plan and despite the fact that Sarah ended up in a foreign king's harem because of his plan. The Bible tells us here in verse 6 that she wasn't afraid with any terror. She wasn't fearful. I can think of a lot of reasons to be fearful in that situation. A lot of reasons. What's going to happen to me? Where, what's my what about my future? Like what's going to happen to me today? And yet she trusted that the God who loved her would take care of her despite her husband's failures. If you have a husband who isn't being a team player or isn't leading the family well or who isn't doing his part to love you like Jesus loves the church, then your greatest impact will be through your godly conduct and your trust in the Lord. Not, not through refusing to do your part. You digging in and going, well, he's not going to do his part, I'm not going to do my part, is not going to fix the situation. Two wrongs never make a right. Say it's not fair. Well, to which I would say that's a whole different conversation we can have. Life isn't fair. Certainly the cross is one of the farthest things from fair that ever occurred. The whole idea of it's not fair. Every time I come to the Lord and I go, it's not fair, The only response I usually get is kind of the thought of someone clearing their throat. throat) Do we really want to take this conversation to its logical conclusion, Will? No, Lord, we don't. I know what's fair. Now, we got to quit because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a second. But I urge you, it's just one verse. We've got a lot more to cover, and we'll do that next Sunday, Lord willing. And I urge you to embrace what God says in His Word. Because as much as it might seem counterculture, maybe even counter to some of the ideas you've heard, or maybe even, you know, you saw something happen to your mom or a friend, you go, I'm not letting that happen to me. I realize that there are a lot of reasons that you can come up with to say, well, I'm not, I can't do this, or I won't do this. You will miss out on what God has for you if you are going to disobey this. And it will not go better for you if you do things your way. Submitting to the Lord by embracing this idea is where blessing is. Now, when I first thought, Lord, I'm going to teach this on the Lord's Supper day, maybe I should teach something else. Like, what does this have to do with remembering what you did for us on the cross? And that, as I studied through this, the Lord was like, well, all of us, whether someone's married or not this morning, all of us are the bride of Christ. And the role of the wife, we'll talk about this more next week, but part of the reason that God gives this role to the wife is because marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church, which means someone has to be the submissive one. And the picture that is painted, of course, is we're the bride and he's the groom, which means the role of the wife in that picture is the following his lead. And so as we remember what the Lord did for us on the cross, and we remember what, what it took to make us his bride this morning, I think it would be really important for all of us to have that moment with the Lord. We say, Lord, I decide to place myself under your leadership or, Lord, I recommit myself to placing myself under your leadership. So, let's pray. Lord, we do that right now. We surrender our lives to you. We, we submit ourselves. We make a choice. We say, I will place myself under your leadership, Jesus. Because, Lord, that is the role you've given to us in our relationship with you. So, Lord, we embrace that role. We say, yes, you are our head. You're our leader, we trust you and we will follow you. So, Lord, as we reflect now on what you did for us on the cross, the great love that you displayed there, Lord, that you are the most worthy leader there could be. As we remember what it cost you to love us and bring us into this relationship with you to become your bride, Lord, we just recommit ourselves to surrendering to you and your leadership. In Jesus' name.